0: We need unity now more than ever. And I'm not quite sure that our political leaders are bringing that unification. It's quite sad, actually. So I think that this platform could transcend some of that. That is Mike Solon, the president of the Seattle Police Officers Guild and now fellow podcaster, as he works to change the narrative, as he puts it, with the SPOG contract set to expire in just a few weeks' time. We're going to talk about that contract, including a new maneuver by the mayor and council as those negotiations begin. We're going to talk about participatory budgeting, and we're going to answer some great questions coming in from our listeners, too. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. It's Seattle News, Views, and Brews. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm also a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. My co-host, he put the wonk back in wonky. It's Kevin Schofield from Seattle City Council Insight. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Brian. All right. Here we go, man. A shout out to City Grind Espresso, the background noise sponsor for the audio podcast. That, of course, the coffee stand on the first floor of City Hall closed during the pandemic. Please support them at their Henry Art Gallery location. Help out other small businesses, too, folks. And some big thanks to our patrons on Patreon. We have a new patron. We have a new patron, I should say, Jim. He just jumped on board. Thank you very much, sir. And Anthony, a current patron who raised his monthly giving level this week. Why can't you be more like Anthony, everybody? That's what I'm talking about here. Please join them, folks, and support independent local journalism. Very important to us, and I know it's important to you if you're listening. Just a few bucks a month really helps us keep things running here. Check out Seattle News Views and Brews on Patreon. And finally, a big thanks to Converge Media for airing the video version of this podcast Wednesday nights at 6. Let's get going with Right Here, Right Now. So here we are, the first full week of December, and it's post-budget time. So the city of Seattle is just going to kick back, relax, put up its feet... Not even close. The council and mayor are gearing up for some contract talks with the Police Officers Guild, which covers the bulk of the rank-and-file officers within the SPD. And this week, in the council's public (coughs) safety committee, they're going to be talking about a new ordinance to strengthen the subpoena power of the Office of the Inspector General and the Office of Police Accountability. These are Seattle's civilian-led police oversight groups. They investigate police misconduct, too. This would put a finer point on how the OPA and OIG can subpoena civilians compel their testimony while also making sure those people subpoenaed understand their right to due process and to avoid self-incrimination. A lot of details to get through here, folks. But basically, as it stands right now, the OPA and the OIG already have the power to subpoena officers for their investigations. But I want to talk about the whole why behind this to start, Kevin, before we get into how this clashes with the contract here. Why are the council and mayor Pursuing this plan to strengthen these subpoena powers.
1: Well, I think part of it is, uh, you know, this is this is one of the aspects of the 2017 uh, police accountability legislation that got never fully got implemented before. Right. Uh, and part of that was, uh, you know, it was an outstanding issue in contract negotiations for right. the spot contract a year later, and. At the end of the day, they couldn't resolve it, and they agreed to the city agreed to just not implement it right. know, for the time being. But now mm-hmm. that contract is about to expire in about three weeks, and they've got to go through, as you mentioned, a whole new round of negotiations. So I think they're kind of setting setting this up to go forward again. So you know, there, there are you know a couple little almost technical things that we need to fix in there. But then there is, you know, a larger portion they wanted to add, as you also mentioned about making sure that um, people who are subpoenaed and turn over information or you know testifies as, as part right. of that understand their rights uh, to, you know, against self-incrimination on mm-hmm. this, and that you know any evidence that they turn over um, can't be used against them unless the police get a separate
0: search warrant to right. uh, get that information or any you know. Yeah, investigation and prosecution. Right, right. I, I guess at, at the end of this, even if and when the council does pass this legislation, and I think this might take a little while here, even let's say the council does pass this, it's still going to have to be negotiated with SPOG, right? Because the way that SPOG contract is set up, the SPOG contract, as it stands now, basically has precedence over what this legislation has done. Help us out with that part, please. Yeah, so there's actually two big hurdles you have to get over. One yeah. is the SPOG contract, right? Yep.
1: So they, yeah, uh, and in fact, one of the technical changes they made to this is, is they make it explicit that this needs to be negotiated with SPOG. And, yeah. you know, it's subject to collective uh, bargaining. But the other part is that... Um, you know because this essentially modifies part of the police accountability legislation which yeah. is still pending in front of judge Robart in the consent right. decree mm-hmm. uh, you know it actually has to go back in front of the judge again yeah right right and you know and and uh, that is the part that's probably going to take longer even than the spot contract part because uh, you know judge Robart is holding it up basically already because the city has not in fact this, that's one of the big areas why judge Robart Found the city to be out of compliance with the consent right. decree around mm-hmm. police accountability. That's right. Because he didn't like some of the things that the SPAD contract unrolled in the police accountability legislation. Right, right. right. So you know he's he's not going to be anxious to to approve this, knowing that the same concern that he had before—that hey, you know, I don't understand what this means until the SPAD contract is renegotiated. Yeah, you know, still holds true. Yeah. Right? So they're going to have to go negotiate the contract, and they're going to have right. to take it in front of the judge again, and then, you know, we'll see how that plays out. So and I this guess is going to be quite a
0: while. I was going to say on this, I know we're talking about a deadline for the Spog contract coming up at the end of this year, but it's clear from the last contract, I mean, that was almost four years old when the yeah, when the yeah. council actually renewed it in 2018 here. So I guess I'm trying to figure out the timing here, Kevin, as much as I'm looking at the end of the year and it's like, oh, there's our deadline there. That could certainly, the SPA could stay with that contract well into next year. Do you see this taking months possibly as we kind of emerge from COVID? That's a piece of it too. And, and try to engage all these different players.
1: Yeah. So they're going to go back to the table in early yeah. 2021, how long it takes and whether they actually come to a resolution on the contract, you know, is anybody's guess.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know,
1: like, like you said, it took four years last time <laughs> to get there. There were, there were, in fact, there were, there was a, there was a point in there uh, about kind of halfway through that four year period where the city and the union actually agreed on the contract. And yep. then the police officers union members voted on it and they rejected it. Right. 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 It was like back to the drawing board again. Okay. Now what do we do?
0: Yeah. Right? And, and, I, and I think, too, just, just to jump in briefly, at the start of this year, before COVID hit, there was a lot of progress being made on the consent decree. They were very close to a process where they thought at least they'd get a, a number of these things taken care of. Then the summer happens and all the George yep. Floyd protests, etc. Yep. So yep. a lot of different concerns milling around here, too.
1: Yeah, it wasn't true. It wasn't clear that they were making progress in the police accountability stuff. That, that, that piece was still sticking, pretty right? Pretty much everything else. Yeah. But now some of those areas and pretty much everything else around crowd control and yeah. around use of force policies, mm-hmm. those are back on the table again with with the case. Yeah. Century, because clearly there were issues in, in the police's ability to actually sustain the the
0: improvements they've made in those areas and and stay consistent with their own policy. Yeah. One last piece on this. What do you make of the fact that the mayor really does seem to be working together with the council on this? I know we reported a couple of months ago, uh, just this whole process that uh, the council is going to have more of a seat at the table when it comes to these negotiations. What do you make of that, seeing the mayor and the council trying to be united, at least, in this front to uh, work on these negotiations together? Some some thoughts about that.
1: Well, yeah. So I think, you know, in this particular case, uh, you know, there is no doubt that uh, that the city council and the mayor are the same page, that, yeah. that uh, the, the spa contract is a big problem. Yeah. Right. And You know, they have been angling for the last few months to try to build political capital and political consensus around negotiating hard with Spock. Yeah. Right. Which is you know, really a very different position than they were in the last time they tried to negotiate. No longer part of the Labor Council in
0: King County. Not part of the Labor
1: Council. They Spock is really standing alone a lot more than before. They're really,
0: you know, kind of out there on their own. They've lost a lot of political capital over the last year. Yeah, yeah. We have to see how this all works out. So a lot still ahead with that one. We're going to keep tracking that. I did want to talk about another, uh, well, another few things on the council's docket uh, this week. There's a lot of stuff actually authorizing that 0.15% sales tax to be used for the Seattle Transportation Benefit District. Voting on that, pushing it out. Whole bunch of committee appointments getting pushed through too but tucked away in the Governance and Education Committee this week, an ordinance in the works to expand lobbying requirements for grassroots organizations. So a little background on this one. This is something brought forward by the Seattle Ethics and Elections Committee. They actually had this in the works in December of last year, but I'm thinking the impact of COVID, multiple budget processes here in 2020, basically pushed this to where we are right now. So this bill would require grassroots lobbying campaigns to register with S-E-E-C, aligning city law with state law. Uh, a little bit more on that issue. Right now, no reporting required if the campaign does not include the direct lobbying of decision makers. So if people spend money on a big social media campaign, let's say, or pay for signs and banners, it's not considered lobbying right now. So that activity is, is rather hidden away. The council is talking about daylighting this activity, basically. Uh, what do you make of this, Kevin?
1: Yeah, so you know, one part is the, the city just has an ongoing effort to try to keep its laws consistent with state laws, and this is a place with a lot of. So you know, there's one portion, one aspect of this. is just like okay, you know, more more work we just have to do to stay consistent. Yeah. Um, but then then there's another part here, which is, you know, the the you know quote unquote grassroots lobbying stuff has really expanded a lot. Over the last two years, there's a lot of organized, and you know, there's always been some organized groups that show up at city hall in their T-shirts and you know, arrange ahead of time to you know, all show up and sign up for public comment session. right? And, you know, and and that you know has certainly continued, including you know through the last year where it's all gone virtual. But um, you know, there, there's really it, there's really a couple different camps of, of, of organizations that do that. You know, one is organized political you know, groups that can do that. And, you know, they can kind of fly on the radar doing this. The other is, you know, wealthy neighborhood organizations. Yes, Downtown Seattle Associates is one I think of. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's sort of in the wealthy business organization. Okay. Fair enough. That's fair. But, you know, that's a fair one too. But also, you know, like,
0: you know, the, the, um, are you thinking up in Magnolia there, Kevin? Yeah, Magnolia yeah.
1: and, you know, some of the other kind of wealthier neighborhoods. Yeah. That, you know, if they get a little nimbyism going.
0: They can, the safe you know. streets, that kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um,
1: but then, you know, and this is something that's weighed heavily in the council, and I think it's one of the reasons why they haven't really pushed hard on this before. Mm-hmm. There are, um, you know, less wealthy, you know, community organizations that right. want to be able to have their voice heard. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, and this is a little bit of a puzzle for this, how do you do enough to make sure that there's transparency
0: about, you know,
1: these grassroots, you know, which ones are really grassroots and which ones are, you know,
0: but don't block them out. I mean, that's the other piece. But don't
1: create, don't create hurdles that are, that are large enough that, um, you prevent neighborhood groups from, you know, being able to have their voice heard, right? So. You know, in this case, they want them to register, but yep. they're not imposing a registration
0: fee. Right. That's an important part. Hopefully doesn't that doesn't create a barrier. And right. And yeah.
1: that's how they're trying to, you know, sort of hit the right balance with this. Mm-hmm. They want transparency. They want everyone to know, okay, who are the organizations that are doing this? When, like, 50 yeah. people all, you know, show up and read off the same script yep. on this, you know, who, who organized stuff?
0: Yeah. But not stop them from doing it. Right, right. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, not only because of that piece there, but because only, uh, because also with this, the fiscal note on this legislation and looking at this, it's going to take a lot of work on behalf of the city to try to make this happen. Maybe even some extra hires is what the Ethics and Elections Commission is saying, to the tune of at least $150,000. There's no money set aside for that right now. So that's that's a piece of this, and I just wonder how this plays into what's going to be a very Active potentially political year in terms of lobbying oh, yeah. and campaigning as, as the mayor tries to potentially look at re election, maybe other people in that mix. How, where do you see this playing out in 2021, Kevin?
1: Well, you know, and this comes up in a lot of things, where a lot of areas that the city, you know, puts in new ordinances. You know, there's you can pass the ordinance, and, yes. and then there's a question of, okay, now who enforces it, right? And you know, this probably at the very least will start out as, as a place given the, you know, the budget restrictions in the city right now where they pass a new ordinance with yep. restrictions and they expect sort of voluntary compliance and nobody's right. out there really, you know, pushing hard for compliance on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, at some point, if the workload really does turn out to be a lot, then, mm-hmm. you know, SEC will make a case for like, hey, no, we really actually need somebody to help us with enforcement.
0: Sure, yes. sure. And then what are the penalties, et cetera? There's there's a few different cans of worms with this. We're, we're going to keep an eye on that one. I'm going to move on right now Too Now Hear This. This is the part of the show where we pluck a soundbite from the tree of political knowledge, take a big bite out of it and start chewing. So last week, Mayor Jenny Durkin signed the $6.5 billion budget the council approved the week before. And while she noted that she and the council have had some differences, she also said they are working together. Let's listen.
1: As we approach the end of an undeniably very challenging year, I believe we've turned a corner and can make collaborative data-driven decisions
0: that advance our shared policy goals. So Kevin, hearing this turn the corner conversation here, we've talked about the mayor and council working on, as it stands now, Competing ways to invest in BIPOC, in BIPOC communities. And I want to focus in on this. The mayor has her equitable communities initiative task force. The council's working on participatory budgeting, which includes the Black Brilliance Project. You did a deep dive on this on Seattle City Council Insight. I want to talk about it. What'd you find out?
1: Well, so you know, there's there's issues to you know to be kind of examined on on, on both sides of this, mm-hmm. you know. So the the mayor has this task force, it's largely been opaque. You know, they you know, at some point, you know, put up pretty, you know, light on detail agendas for for the meetings they've been having. I mean, they don't really pre-announce them. The meetings aren't open to the public and they haven't published any minutes or any of their meetings yeah. they've had so far. So it's like, well, what are these these guys are gonna decide What's going on? how yeah. to allocate thirty million dollars? Yeah, And nobody knows what they really done. Right. Mm, so yeah. so there's some issues on that side. And then okay. on the on the Black Brilliance research side, you know, I took a, a hard look at um the contracts that are being written for this, yes, uh, which are being run out of uh, Councilmember Morales' office, right? And 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 that's a little un, you know unusual. It's sort of the standard arrangement for something like this would be that somewhere in the executive branch, you know, something under the mayor would be actually mm-hmm. going in. You know, getting the contract executed and yeah. managing the contract going forward. Yeah. so it's it's unusual on its own for the a legislative branch to be. I see doing. Yeah, you know, they might have a little you know con- consulting contract here, but nothing yeah. like a three million dollar big contract, right? Yeah, so, but,
0: and they and the council and clearly wants to have control of this. Yeah, keep going. They clearly
1: want control over this, and you know, and their normal role in this is oversight, right? Yes. They, they, you know, from you know. Uh, arms length away, watch the executive branch and make sure they're doing the right stuff, right? So, yeah. so it, large, it raises these interesting questions about well, who's really doing oversight if the lead, if the oversight branch is the one managing this big contract, right? Mm, yeah. And so that that's kind of a questionable thing. And mm-hmm. and you know, just to kind of drill on that for a sec. Sure. Um, the the city auditor's office, who normally would kind of you know look in on things that look a little unusual like mm-hmm. like, like this works for the legislative branch, right? And by their own policy, they consider it a conflict of interest to investigate anything that happens in the legislative branch. So they won't touch this. It would wow. take either the county auditor or the state auditor to, you know, take notice and decide that they need to go look at this, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so a contract like this being run on the legislative branch is really yeah. not
0: going to get a lot of oversight. Well, so which, then, you know, I was going to say, which is not to say that the goals of this study or whatever else are, are anything bad. It's just the way it's being executed. You have some right. some really right. good questions. Right. Keep going, please.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, when you look at the actual contract that, that's being written for, you know, $3 million here, mm-hmm. first of all, the, the way they did it is is a little fishy because mm-hmm. you know under city law it's actually city ordinance any contract over fifty four thousand dollars needs to be bid out right? yeah and um what the council did was they actually um they used a loophole in there there's an exception there that says uh, you know we can just directly award a contract for um, you know to any you know, 501c3 public benefit right. corporation, mm-hmm. right? So I said, oh, great, we're going to use that. Except that King County Equity now, the organization is not, not a 501c3. Not yeah. a 501c3. Yeah. So they did something that, you know, is actually done, you know, fairly often for small, you know, community organizations. Yeah. Uh, often because, you know, they don't have the infrastructure to do the whole 501c3 sure. and manage right. all the paperwork and everything. And they it's called a fiscal agent. Right. They get a 501c3 organization to basically be the pass-through. And, and, and do all the paperwork for this and manage it and make sure everything's on the up and up. Right. So, you know, but you get in this interesting situation mm-hmm. now where they said, oh, right, we're going to use the exception where we, you know, we don't have to bid out a $3 million contract mm-hmm. because we're giving it to 501c3. But we're right. not really giving it to a 501c3. We're giving yeah, it to a fiscal agent on, yeah. on, 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 on top of that. Right. And so, so that all looks, you know, Kind of, you know, when you you get to the point where you're exploiting two loopholes in order to do the thing you want to do, you you really have to ask, okay, is is this really the right thing to do? Yeah. And then, you know, when you actually look at the contract itself, it's not a very good contract.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: There is, you know, very little detail in the contract about what actual work is going to be done. Yeah. And the way the research is going to be done. I know you had some and, questions and, and, about that. And how too. the money is going to be spent. Yeah. Right. There's right. no detail in the contract about how the money is going to be spent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the first deliverable was do a project plan. And normally the project plan is actually, you know, attached as a scope of work in the contract. But mm-hmm. they said, no, it's going to be the first deliverable instead. And you look at the first deliverable and there's a little more detail on that. But there's right. still no detail about how any of the money is going to be spent. Right. 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 So, you know, it, it's – um. It's not a good contract, right? Well, and, uh, you're, you're and comparing it to things enough.
0: we've seen in the past, soda tax, whatever else. Oh, There's yeah. been some so really detailed plans like that.
1: Detailed plans for far less money, right? Yeah. You know, the, the 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 multi-year soda tax research project is $150,000, right? right? So that's, you know, the, this contract is. Twenty times larger yeah, than right, that, right, right. And so, tracks One had a detailed budget of how all the money is going to be spent, mm-hmm. and it had a detailed scope of work that said, "Here's yeah. all the steps, and who's going to do all the work." And sure, all this, right. And so, you know, this was this was just not well done. Yeah, this was not well done. And you know, we can hope everything comes out great. We can hope yeah. they do great work and they find out, you know, um, you know, important insights, um, but. You know, this is just not the way these things are supposed to be done. And for yeah. you know, what what's a large amount of money, right? Yeah, three and million dollars isn't pocket change. To, to say, you know, uh, yeah, we're we're okay
0: with this. It's just yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. I, it's it's something I know Councilmember Morales is bullish on. We're going to stick with this story, Kevin. and I know we're going to uh, track it into the next year, but I wanted to make sure I touched on another note from last week. Here, a U.S. District Court magistrate said. Some landlords, they were seeking this injunction on the eviction moratoria, plural, from the state and city of Seattle. The judge said these eviction bans were constitutional, so he rejected that injunction. It seemed like the judge's basic idea was here, and this is a nationwide problem we're talking about here with an eviction moratorium. If we make more people homeless, the judge says... They're more likely to get COVID. So there's a legitimate public interest in that. I, I just wanted to throw that at you, Kevin, because that sounded like really what the judge was trying to get across here.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the context of this ruling was this wasn't a final ruling. Okay. This. this was the plaintiff's asking for a preliminary injunction.
0: Right, 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 right. Just right. Like
1: super, super early in this whole process. Yep. And the rules for the for a preliminary injunction are like, okay, there, there are these four tests that you have mm-hmm. to have in order to do that, right? You need to show that you're likely to succeed on the merits of your argument. You need to show that you're going to suffer irreparable damage, mm-hmm. irreparable damage, if if the injunction isn't awarded, you have to show that the balance of the equities, meaning, you know, how much is it going to harm you know, the, 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 defendants. Yeah. If, if you get an injunction versus mm-hmm. how much it harms you, if you don't get an injunction Right. Right. tips in your favor yeah. and then that it's in the public interest. Right. So they have to prove all four of those things. Right. Right. i said, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, you haven't shown very clearly that you're going to you know, succeed on the merits of, of this. In fact, mm-hmm. there's a lot of weaknesses in your argument. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of the, uh, You you haven't shown you haven't shown that there's irreparable damage because all you said is basically you know it's economic damage and law and lots of case law, yeah, economic damage, you know, you know can be dealt with by you know awarding money. Sure, sure, right. So that's that's not irreparable. Yeah, that's very repairable. Right? Yep, yep. And then, you know, in terms of looking at kind of the, how the equities tip in the public interest yeah. with the COVID pandemic and yep. homelessness, right? You know, it sure looks like it tips in favor of, of the governments, right? And, and right. not private landlords. And, you know, he did wrap up by saying, look, you know, I understand this is causing real of pain course. for landlords,
0: yeah. right? And the courtroom Um, might not be the best place to handle this. And the courtroom is is probably not the best
1: place to do this, right? This this really needs to be legislators going and figuring out the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. All right.
0: Well, a lot more on that story ahead. Actually, I'm working on a story on Seattle Channel this week about the eviction moratoria. Hearing from renters, landlords, make sure you check it out on City Inside Out. Let's move on to our final segment. What's next? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for our final segment here, we put out the call for questions to our patrons this week, and we got a ton of them from Rob. Rob, thank you so much for asking all these different questions. We're going to do what we can today. We're answering your question about police funding in West Seattle with a special patrons-only podcast. So patrons out there, if you want to be a patron, make sure you do that. We'll make sure we answer your questions as best we can. But there are a few questions we can tackle today. So Rob asks this, Kevin, how did Kevin become SCC Insight? I'm pretty sure I got this one. You were bitten by a radioactive spider. You developed some superpowers. That's that's kind of the right track, right?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, maybe a radioactive bookworm or something. Uh, I, like see, that. I, that's, see. That's, I see, I see, I see. What's what's the
0: backstory? Bit. What's what do you got?
1: Oh my, so yeah, um, <laughs> about six that? years ago, I left my corporate job and. You know, writing had always been like in different ways a part of my job over, mm-hmm. you know, a few decades, but it had never been the job. And so, yeah. you know, I wanted to say, look, let me like really be a writer. Yeah. And, you know, I started taking some classes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, in the meantime, you know, I've been doing some volunteering in the community for, for a long time. And one of the issues that, that uh, was, uh, Related to an organization I was volunteering with in the community, mm-hmm. came up in front of the city council. And right. So, uh, in In early 2015, yeah, you know, for about eight to ten weeks in a row, I was going to city council meetings every yeah. every Monday, speaking at uh, in the public comment session and yep. sort of representing. Yeah. And um, I kind of got hooked on city council meetings. Yeah. Right. right. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who go to public comment. You know, go to the city council meeting, speak at public comment, and immediately mm-hmm. leave. And I and a handful of other people just stuck around and watched the rest of the meeting and listened. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and they were really struggling with some hard and interesting policy issues at the time. And Mm -hmm. I I just kind of get hooked. So, you know, as the summer kind of went on, I just Mm -hmm. kept following city council meetings. But then, I mean, coming back to the writing part on this, you know, when you're getting into writing, one of the things, a piece of advice that's super, super true Mm. is you have to find a reason to write every day. Yeah. Right. Boy, that's and very true. Mm-hmm. Some kind of prompt or something that just, I mean, there's, you can buy apps that just will give you a random prompt every day to go write something on this. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not writing every day, you're not building up the muscles and the skills to be able to oh. do it. So I was very, kicking around in the well fall of 2015, yeah. Yeah. looking for like, okay, what's the thing that's just going to get me writing every day? And mm-hmm. I realized that there was one staring me in the face. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and nobody else was kind of, I mean, there, uh, there's obviously lots of city hall reports. Yeah, but nothing cities,
0: as council specific. N- nobody
1: was do. really focusing in on the legislative branch yeah. of the city. And yeah. I, I said, oh, okay, all right. So, yeah. you know, I set up a website and it just it became my daily writing prompt. It's like, yeah. I'm going to write today about what they're doing. And yeah. it just kind of slowly took on a life of its own.
0: No, it has. And I, I, I certainly appreciate all the work you do. And I know uh, Rob does that, too. So you've, you've revolutionized the game in terms of uh, city council coverage, Kevin. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I wouldn't that. go that far. Probably. All right. All right. <laughs> you started some good stuff. That's for sure. Uh, Rob also had another question I wanted to throw out there. Can I be the show's intern? Rob, man, I wish we could make that work because in between the typing that Kevin does and I does, someone needs to do some of this typing for us. I'm just going (laughs) to throw that out there. Uh, Short answer is I have no idea how to do that in the remote setting we are in, but I appreciate the sentiment very much. And, man, I wish I could take you up on that somehow. I want to finish up the podcast, if we could, with a look at the proper treats to have on your coffee break. Kevin is the star baker. I'm the star eater in this uh, scenario here most often. Kevin, I have a buttercream frosted chocolate cupcake from my daughter oh here. My. okay that looks now so check delicious. this out so I'm gonna let you in on the little secret what the kids are doing these days so what you do is you cut that cupcake right right through there okay cut it right in half kind of widthwise there then you put this guy on top check it out cupcake sandwich
1: oh Mm-hmm. I right, see so the kids are
0: doing now mm-hmm that just happened man so, so I'll you let
1: don't look you know lick, that, they don't, they're not licking all the frosting off the top
0: no it's, it's cupcake sandwiches these days or at least my kids who I I said, well, they can't vouch for their parenting. Nearer. They make some interesting choices. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I got to say, Cupcake Sandwiches has kind of revolutionized this game, which cupcake eating, we need more of that in our household. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. everybody needs more cupcake eating. This is true. Yeah, this yeah. is true. Yeah, Good stuff all around. Well, Same Kevin, I thank you once again for... Uh, watching me eat cupcakes, for one, and for all the great insights on what's happening with the Seattle City Council.
1: Yeah, and next time, next time your, your daughter makes cupcakes, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll save a couple minutes here. And I'll give you kind of the, the rundown on how to make really great cupcakes from a box mix that are indistinguishable, for, indistinguishable from scratch. Because now, this that's is something what I'm I, about. I, I, I made cupcakes once a week, you know, and my corporate job for, mm-hmm. for the last few years that I was there. So I got really good at making cupcakes.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I, this this is how that. we get people to, to listen, tune in next week. So Kevin, this is awesome. Next week, okay. I, I can't wait for it. I can't wait. Thank you so much, sir, for joining me here. And the next time you want to know what's happening in local politics, folks, give us a listen here on Seattle news, views and brews. Find out what's brewing. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen, and please do support us on Patreon. If you like what you're hearing, we need your help to keep this thing going. Thank you so much, and thanks for watching on Converge Media 2. We will see you next time. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.